Oh, there we go. Welcome to episode nine, Bet Parks Presents. Stick to Hockey Live. Jason Martinez, Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period, north of the border, going to join us very shortly in just a second. Uh, we got a ton to talk about, obviously. What's been a, a weird week? What's been a weird last night? <laughs> we'll talk about that and much more. Let me tell you about Bet Parks, because now is a great time to get in on the action. Bet Parks, the best casino and sportsbook app. It's, uh, it's fantastic. Make sure you download it. Uh, you're going to get in on the instant hockey boost coming up on Wednesday. Both of them so far have hit. The stick to hockey boosts have hit on the first two occasions. Flyers covered the one and a half at plus 250 on the boost. Uh, against Florida, and then the first game, score four goals or more and win, got you plus 210 against New Jersey. So the boosts are on fire right now. So get on the Bet Parks app. You can bet all the different sports, including, obviously, the finals of Major League Baseball. I can't say what it's actually called because they freak out about that. You can bet football. You can bet hockey. You can bet College football, all of it's there for you at your disposal. Player performances, same game parlays, live in-game betting, you name it. Anything you can imagine, you can bet uh, Formula One coming up this week in Mexico. Just got it done in Austin, Texas. So get the Bet Parks app now. You're going to love it. It's fantastic, and you're going to get in on all the great action. Uh, you do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And let me tell you about Conquerville Subaru. I hope you visited the dealership this weekend. It was beautiful out. Great time to look at the beautiful cars down there at Conquerville Subaru. And, you know, it's a great dealership, and they have the slogan, Conquerville Cares. Now, why do they have that? Well, because they actually do care. They do care about their customers and their community. They were the first Subaru Nation Love Promise Dealer of the Year winner back in 2015. They also have been supporting the Nemours Children's Hospital of Delaware for eight years. They've adopted 15 classrooms at Marcus Hook Elementary School, allowing teachers to pick $500 in classroom supplies. And they continue their donation of thousands of coats to La Humanidad, La Comunidad España in Kennett Square over the last 10 years, and that continues to this day. Russ Joy taught me how to say that properly on Friday's episode. So visit their beautiful showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills and check out the certified pre-owned inventory and a list of the great incoming Subaru vehicles. It is Conquerable Subaru, more than a dealership. It's also a great service department where you get a free car wash with every visit. Do yourself a favor. Visit ConquervilleSubaru.com online and then go to check out that showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills. And remember, Conquerville cares. Let's get to the man right now. He is north of the border. He is from the fourth period.com and he joins us right now. It is Anthony DeMarco. What's going on, Ant? Not much, man. Uh, we got the first dub last night, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got the first shot over the bow last night, didn't we? So you guys down in Philly, you got it on all ends of the spectrum. You got the complete dud with the Flyers, and then you got the massive uh, Phillies take, punching their ticket to the war. No, can't say it. Punching their ticket you to the You can say uh, it the- now. Just can't okay. say in an ad read. <laughs> okay, so they punched their ticket to the World Series. So, I mean, you guys must be going ballistic down there. You know, it was cool because I was inside the East Food Hall. That's where we do pregame, intermission, and postgame from, along with Brian Smith. And they opened it up early, and there's, you know, tons of TVs there. They had $5 beers, dollar hot dogs, and the place was jammed, right? And at, at the end of the game was around, like, the top of the ninth inning was basically 6 to, like, 6.10. And we were set to go on at 6.30. And I live-streamed it. So if you want to see the reaction in there, I just turned on my live stream and turned my camera around and let people see what was happening. And when they got, I mean, every pitch was crazy. But when they got the final out, that fly ball 
the place went nuts. I mean, beers were flying. Everybody was going bananas. Everybody was out on Broad Street last night, Frankfurt and Cotman, climbing the greased poles. It was on like you wouldn't believe, man. People just going ballistic. So congrats to the Phils. They got a tough they got tough out here <laughs> in the in the World Series, no doubt. Yeah, well you got the you got the cheaters that they're going up against now, but uh, no, obviously. Yeah, the Astros, it, it looked like they're really on a war path right now. And especially with it, it's just crazy. Like I never really thought that the Phillies had a shot this year to go this deep. Like yeah. obviously, like up here in Toronto in Canada, a lot of people thought the Jays were gonna be really good. Obviously, people were talking like the Dodgers were like the best team people had seen in decades, but I mean I'm pulling for them. You know, I, I am a Blue Jays guy, full transparency. I like to beat the Canadian drum, but I always have time for the Phillies for sure. Yeah. And, you know, normal year before this year, they wouldn't even have made the playoffs. But the expanded playoff format got them in. A lot of people are bitching about that. But, you know, that's what's good. You, you want that variable of teams, you know, when they get into the playoffs can go on a magical run. It's, it's kind of like hockey, like in basketball, you don't get that so much. You get that in the NHL. An eight seed can win the cup and has won the cup <laughs> yeah that's the amazing thing you know what, what la was in 18 and 12 right yeah la was in 18 and 12 the flyers were a seven seed yeah. when they went to 2010 you know i know Bettman doesn't want to do anything with it but i thought for a while that like maybe expanding the 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 nhl playoffs would be good maybe you add two more teams on either in either division or either conference and then you kind of would have seven play 10 and eight play nine. And then they get into the actual playoff round, even if it's just like a one-off or a best two out of three. Like I think that, yeah, it's like, it's basically free revenue. Right. And you see the NBA, which a lot of, you know, their playoff format pretty much mirrors identically what the, what the NHL does. And they've now gone into that. And I don't know why Batman would be so against it. Maybe the players union would have to have something to say about that because you would be playing more games if you are in one one of those teams. But I think it would just be free revenue. And like you said, it adds that extra variable. And let's be honest, like what's the real difference between a team that finished seventh as opposed to 10? Maybe last year in the Eastern Conference, it wasn't like that. But in normal years, seven to 10, it's all about the same caliber of teams. Yeah, I mean, right now, half the league makes the playoffs. Half is not. 16 yeah. in, 16 out. I'm not in favor of expanding it. I'd be in favor because of the revenue and rising cap and all that stuff, but I'm not in favor of because a team that, you know, goes on a tear in a regular season finishes at the top. They get a team that just played their way in and has some confidence and they're playing loose because in hockey, you know, a t like a 10 seed has, you know, two games over 500, they get in and they knock out a top seed in the best of seven. That's yeah. what I don't like that it doesn't reward those top teams for 82 games of excellence. It puts them in peril uh, immediately. And I don't, I don't love that. Then you go, well, they're, they're the top team. They should beat that team, but it's hockey. That's not a hot goalie. And it's all over. You're done. You're out. Like, the, like Tampa, you know, the one year it, Tampa ha has the most points, 128 and they get swept by Columbus. So I, I would, I'm actually not in favor of it, but like I get it. From not even at all. No, I, I, I just don't – look, if you didn't get it done in 82 and, you, you know, half the league makes it in half. I love the – I like the thing that half of it makes it and half doesn't. You know, yeah. the, the, the old saying it used to be, you know, like in the early 90s and, and all the way about, to, about 2000 was, you know, the whole league makes the playoffs. And they basically did because you had 16 of like 22 teams. But now 
it's harder to make the playoffs. So I like that. I think that that's a good thing. I just feel like in North American sports, like we are so like playoffs centric here. Like that's mm-hmm. what people really, really live and die well, for. Yeah, it's the best. It, it, it's amazing. And I think it was ASF who said it on your podcast on uh, Friday where he said, you know, short of the NHL playoffs, there's nothing like playoff baseball or overtime NHL playoffs and playoff baseball. Like it could go. It's so crazy that baseball can go from like the most mundane spectator sport to like the most electric in the playoffs. And I guess like my my case for advocating for it, the extended playoffs in in, um, in the NHL is because it would give you like one more layer of that type of feeling in hockey. But I do understand that you want to prioritize the regular season, especially when you have 82 games, like it's an 82 game marathon. So I do understand like you don't want to reward a team who barely scraped in and then got hot for like a couple of weeks. So I yeah. do get it from that standpoint as well. If you want to get rid of some of regular season games, like I could entertain it. Yeah. yeah well, I'll never do that. That's game. If you could trim the regular season by like 10 games type of thing, I think that would go a long I'd even way. Go 20. Yeah, 62. You games go tw- Really? Yeah. 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 And then add a round to the playoffs. Yeah, I would do that. And then, you know, your season would be the same length. You'd play less back to backs. There wouldn't be as much of a grind. Because back to backs aren't great for anyone because the product suffers. Because you got super <laughs> Like tired that guys. fucking game last night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, both teams run a back to back there. I mean, it was just ugly. But, you know, I, I would and then I would have a midseason instead of an all star game, like some sort of best on best country, you know, World Cup type thing like soccer does, like the EPL. Well, I, I know that people had kind of like tossed it around like this isn't at all like going to happen. But a lot of, let's say, pundits have said, like, why don't you just have like a best of seven summit series between Canada and the U.S.? Because. Yeah. Let's be real now. Like, I know that there's tentative plans to have the World Cup of Hockey in 2024, I think February 2024. But it's like you look at the the countries here, like it's basically Canada or the U.S. Like, I don't think any other country. Well, I mean, Sweden I guess you get in that mix or Finland sometimes and you never know. Like, like Russia, would they even be involved? Like, obviously, they're kind yeah. of a threat. But internationally, aside from when NHLers haven't gone to the Olympics, like Russia hasn't been a force in international hockey when NHLers are there in quite some time. Yeah, you're right. No, it, it would be, I mean, maybe you get like the big, biggest four <clears throat> and then you come up with a team with like the Swiss players and the, you know, I mean, the Czech Republic could field a good team. Yeah. And I mean, but you know, some of those smaller countries, the, the Belarusians like, uh, Oscar Bartolis, who's a Belarusian. <laughs> so, um, all right, we've wasted enough time on that. That was fun, though. Um, <laughs> debate, but let's get to uh, what happened last night. And, yeah, they lose 3 nothing to a 1-6 team. It just shows you in the NHL, any team can beat any team. I mean, they went in. Yeah, they beat the Flyers last night. Flyers aren't a great team. But they also went into the Garden and beat the Rangers in overtime a couple nights before on Thursday. Did San Jose to get their first win. Uh, but the big story, obviously, is the fact that Kevin Hayes – and Travis Konechny did not play a shift in the third period, coupled with the fact that JVR only played three minutes in the game because he got hurt. So John Tortorella decided to, you know, find a hill to stand on, and he stood on it the entire period and played with three lines. And we didn't see either of those guys. It's highly embarrassing for veteran players like that to be stapled to the bench. 
What did you think right, about it? Hold the bench. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did you think about what what took place last night? Like it kind of surprised me because there weren't any overtly bad plays that Hazer Konechny had, but at the same time, neither of them were doing anything to separate themselves from the pack. Konechny and I got think lost on the first goal. Yeah, and Konechny, I think more like more times than not, he's been one of their better offensive guys. But I don't think either of these two guys have been particularly great defensively. Like, aside from Luxell and Owen Tippett, who have really not had a large sample size, Luxell played one game, Tippett's played one period. The only forward in terms of expected goals against per 60 that's worse than Hayes and Konechny is Joel Farabee. And I think that Tortorella rightfully holds Konechny and Hayes to the higher standard. They're the two best forwards on the team with, with Sean Katori on the shelf right now. And those two guys weren't playing well enough to really drag this team out of the pack, you know, or drag this team into the fight or lead this team on a tough back-to-back. And I think that going into the third period, Tortorella decided that sending this message to the leaders of this team offensively was more important than getting the win. Like, let's be honest here. Like when you have DeLorean and McEwen out there on a power play, is that something that's going to help you win a game as opposed to Konechny and Hayes? No, because 80, 80, 85% of Konechny and Hayes or even lower than that is more effective offensively than a McEwen or a DeLorean. But you sent a message here that you're holding these two guys to a higher standard. And Tortorella has been very consistent with that, specifically with Kevin Hayes since the beginning of training camp. His first media availability back in June, he singled out Hayes in particular that he wanted more from this guy. So I think he really just said, you guys don't want to play to the capability that you guys are capable of. Well, then you're not going to play. Yeah. Um, That's when I noticed it when they were on that power play with about 35 seconds left in the power play. I saw Lucas Sedlak on the ice. And I'm thinking, <laughs> wait, why is Hayes not out there now? And I go, well, maybe it's the end of the power play. There's about 14 minutes left in the period in the third or 13 minutes. And I, and I go, you know, I haven't seen Hayes the whole period here. And we yeah. started talking at the press box. We're like, no, I don't, I haven't either. He hasn't seen a shift. And then we're like, well, wait a minute. We haven't seen connect me either. And we're kind of going like, what's going on here, but they're both on the bench. And it's, it was very odd, and when, you, when I saw Sedlak out there, I'm going, okay, there's there's something going on. He's sending a message here, but we'll see if he sticks to it through the whole period, and he did. He he said in postgame, somebody, the first question was about message to those two guys, and he said, I'm going to keep the message to those two guys basically private, and but it was basically public. And when you do it to those two guys, look, you just, you just said it, Ant. Hayes is leading the team in points. He's got a goal and seven assists, eight points in now six games. Uh, Konechny, four goals to assist, six points. He's the second highest point getter on the team. And you're down a forward. Um, that is going to resonate through that locker room. It's not just about Hayes and, and Konechny. Everybody know, sees what happened there last night and knows nobody is off limits at any time, any circumstance. And look, I, I also think a part of this has to do with some of the other guys lower in the lineup playing good process hockey, if you will, again, relative to what these players are. Like, I think McEwen has really stepped up his game in a, in recent weeks. I think he's a guy who's benefited from Tortorella. Sedlak, very small sample size, but I think he's looked okay. Like, you, ha- Morgan Frost has been responsible at all ends of the ice. 
Lazinski has seemed to kind of start turning his game around after being somewhat called out by Torch last last week. So he I think like it 10 was ten minutes and change last night on a shortened bench, though. Anyway, I think he's going down this week. Well, like I guess it depends. Well, I, I would assume because I think Tippett is on the mend here. Atkinson probably on the mend as well. Katoria, I don't think he's going to be back any time in the immediate future. Be back Thursday. Yeah, even Risto, I think, if all goes well, will be back this week. Um, but who knows? Don't hold your breath on that. But I, I think that, you know, Lazinski, he's been kind of inconsistent in terms of where he's been playing as well, right? They've tried him 4C. They've tried him third-line right wing, fourth-line right wing. I think last night he was mostly playing with Jack, uh, with Noah Cates and Farabee, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then you – I just think that – Tortorella wants consistency from these guys and playing to your respective roles. Obviously, a lot of people are upset with how much he was deploying, let's say guys like Deloria and McEwen. And obviously, if you're trying to win a hockey game, you never want to see those two guys or Sedlak playing on a power play. But I think that line was playing the way that like you want them to play. And in terms of where they are at as players, they were playing to their capability. I think that even their underlying numbers, they haven't been bad defensively. Obviously, they're not going to do much in the way of generating scoring opportunities. And it was against the San Jose Sharks. But I think last night was all about Torch saying, just like, I want you to play to your top level. And everyone was mostly doing that, except for the two best forwards on the team in Hayes and Konechny. And those are the two guys that you need to lead the way. You know, it's. I, I talked about this on, I think it was Sunday's Flyers Daily. I said, if you want to know what a coach thinks about a player, don't listen to his words, look at his usage. Because on Saturday, Konechny played the most out of any forward. Twenty Over 23 minutes in that game, shorthanded power play. 23 minutes, I don't know that he's ever seen 23 minutes of, of ice time in a regulation game. But that's what he saw. Going, so Tortorella's trusting him, he's liking it. And then he came back the next day and he obviously did not like what he sees. And it is a game by game thing with torts. It's not just, Hey, I trusted you yesterday. Even though you're not doing those things, I'm going to give you the minutes today. It's not going to be that way. This is what we talk about when we say torts is, you know, accountability. Like we say, it's just one of those words in sports, but torts, it's a religion and it's accountability never takes a day off. And accountability doesn't transfer from day to day. It's It's got to be there every day, every period, every performance. And that's the thing. You want a consistency, right? You want, and I know this has been like a buzzword, you want a standard that's there each and every night. And yeah. Konechny, who has been very good, and Hayes, who has been mostly good. I don't, I do, I haven't really liked them defensively. At times, like I think that especially connecting, you get to loss a lot. But if you're producing at the end of the other end of the ice, then hey, more power to, to you. But last night was a game where neither of those guys were playing to where they need to be. And I think this was Tortorella saying like, hey, just because you were good last night or on Thursday or last Monday, it doesn't give you a free pass to mail it in tonight. And that's not to say that you have to be banging in a goal or two every single game. But you can't be a passenger when you're that type of player on teams, especially a team like the Flyers that don't have a lot of scoring depth. They don't have the ability to see guys like Hayes and Konechny. Again, not take nights off because I don't think they were overtly bad. Look, Konechny obviously got lost on the second goal, was on the ice for both goals against. 
But like, it wasn't like these guys were just completely mailing it in and complete non-factors. But in terms of what they mean to this team, they weren't playing where they needed to be. And that's yeah. just, and that's just what it is. And Torts is, and we've seen this numerous times over the last few years where we would always say like their best players are not their best players right now. They would go through lulls, but you know, in the case of AV, what he would do, it went, let's say in the bubble, he would put Giroud, Couture, and Voracek together and say, well, yeah. they got to figure it out together. And Tortorella is taking the approach of saying, like, look, if you guys don't want to play to your capabilities, you're just not going to play, period. Yeah, have a seat. And that, I mean, it's highly embarrassing. I thought TK handled it pretty well post-game. Hayes, I thought, was obviously seemed a little more salty about it. But you knew, I knew this, was, we all knew this was coming from the minute Torts was hired. Because he, I mean, you mentioned it. He used Kevin Hayes. He said, I think there's more there. I'm going to have to push him to get to a place where he's never been and hold him to a very high standard. Every player is held to a standard, but the, you know, the result of the standard varies. Like Zach McEwen is held to the standard of the peak of what he thinks he can do. Hayes is held to the peak of what he thinks he can do. And even though Hayes hasn't really maybe even reach the peak of what Torts thinks he can do, he's going to hold him to that standard until he reaches it. And if not, there's going to be hard lessons along the way. I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, how this is going to kind of ruminate today on an off day for them when they return tomorrow, Tuesday, and then Wednesday practices, and then back Thursday against a good Florida team that they, you know, played pretty tight on the road. So, you know, how they handle this going forward, I, I mean – I think guys like McEwen, when they saw that they were going out basically every other shift in that third period, got up on it even more because they're going, I'm getting more ice time than usual. I can show more. Like McEwen, like he went out for a not even a 30-second shift, and he just spilled it. I mean, spilled it. The whole four check got in, and the puck went out, and he was, I mean, hustling his bag off. And, I mean, he wouldn't have been able to stay out there another five seconds because he worked so hard in the, in the 35 seconds he was out there that it was like, Oh my God, like this guy senses an opportunity and that's how everybody's got to feel, but everybody's got to, you know, jump up to the standard that Torch is going to talk about. Torch did talk about though, too, Ant. you know, I'm not going to discount the, you know, the start of the season, the last week and change. Um, they played some pretty damn good hockey, some resilient hockey. I mean, they are four and two after six games. If you'd have told me, if you would have asked me before the season start, you want to sign a contract for four and two after the first six, given that schedule and all the circumstances, I would have signed that contract in a heartbeat. Yeah. And for sure, because, and this was the only game where they really just did not look good. It was like, I was talking to someone earlier today with the flyers and he told me, he, he told me, it's just like, it was the ultimate trap game. You're coming back on a, from a road trip on the second of a back-to-back against a really, really bad team on a Sunday night. That's the definition well, of a draft. line at minus 125. <laughs> exactly. Like, this wasn't like we saw it coming and it was just a bad hockey game. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't fun to watch. Like, San Jose's a garbage team. And it just is what it is. And, like, just to talk about, like, a Zach McEwen, like, look, we started the year. He went to the NH, the AHL. We talked about how he was probably a fringe AHLer at best. And, look, he comes up his first game, doesn't look great, takes two bad penalties, but. I got to say, I really like seeing how McEwen has upped his game because even the underlying numbers, like he's not really been a guy who is a liability out there. I think Sedlak has been good in that 4C role. I think Delorier has done his job. 
I really just think that these are guys that deeper down in the lineup have played their role. And look, we know that this team isn't good enough all in all. We get that. We we know that they lack the high-end talent. But when you see guys lower down in the lineup playing to their capabilities, and then you see the top guys not kind of like leading the way, it makes sense why Tortorella wanted to really make an example, even though you have a 4-2 and two record. Because we know. Look, Russ Joy said it last week, last week, winning isn't the priority this year. And if that was ever in question before, I think after last night, we know because Tortorella basically sacrificed trying to win a game by icing his best players by just sending a message. Yeah. The, you know, the funny thing is, is McEwen was the second highest forward in the game against Nashville and expected goals for the only yep. guy higher than him was Scott Lawton in that game. Yep. And he and he made a real nice play on his goal too, McEwen. He he jumps around the Nashville player to get inside positioning for that rebound. Like that's a that's a little savvy play. Yep. You know, the, the the defender's job is to be between on the right side of the puck, between the you know, the net and the the attacking player. And he fell asleep a little bit and McEwen was able to jump around him. Um, C Mac messages in and says, I hate how Wade Allison is being used. I tried, I've tried to make sense of it. This team needs offense, yet he's getting very little opportunity to score goals. He's on the forecheck and standing at the net. Well, that's, that's what Wade Allison is. He's a straight line forechecker and then go to the net. He's also got a great release so he can be a trigger guy. Uh, I think Allison's been decent. He hasn't flashed a ton for me. The fact that he stayed healthy, I think is the biggest asset so far for Wade yeah. Allison. Yep. You know, but I think he's one of the team's better four checkers, straight yeah. line four checkers. So I, I don't look, I think Noah Cates has kind of hit a little bit of a wall early too. Yeah. Um, especially playing center. Yeah. And I think, I think it's just na not natural for him to play center. Yeah. Um, he's not good at faceoffs. He just hasn't done it a lot. The team is horrific in the dot, but um, you know, Noah Cates, I, I think will be better served on the wing at some point but they need to get more centers. Yeah, in terms of Wade Allison, I mean, he, aside from Farabee and Noah Cates, he's played the most minutes at five-on-five five of any forward. Yeah. You know, I think offensively, he generates a lot of shots per six, well, a lot, relatively speaking. Aside from Wade, uh, aside from Sedlak, he generates the most shots four per 60. I just think that maybe Allison is a guy who's still trying to find a way how to score goals consistently in the NHL because we know he has a good shot. We know that in the past he's kind of played as a trigger position on the power play, but we also know that he has that ability to be that net front guy around the net. And look, I think it's a work in progress. Obviously, the lines have juggled a lot here. And I think a lot of the time he's been playing with a guy, let's say like Morgan Frost, who I think... I, I'm not defensively. I think he's been very sound defensively at all areas, but I think consistently being able to generate and be involved in the play offensively for Frost is still a work in progress. JJ mentioned it on the broadcast last night. And then other times he's played with Noah Cates, who we just said is kind of struggling right now, trying to learn that center ice position, which is nothing against him. Like the fact that he's been able to perform adequately speaks a lot. And he's been getting a lot of usage at five on five as well from Tortorella. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of usage, if we want to just kind of like hang on that wording from, from C-Mac, it's like, he's been getting a lot of opportunities. 
it's just he's I think it's Allison trying to find his way in the NHL and how he's going to be able to be effective every night and actually score goals because I think he does generate arguably more chances than anyone offensively right now just because of how hard he goes in on the forecheck. Yeah, and, and, and we also have to remember that Wade didn't play much last year at all. You know, he's playing his way back into his peak performance abilities, and it, that is going to take a little time. He came in in tremendous shape. He, he's a hard worker and all those things, so it, it may take a little time for him. You know, and it doesn't help that there's not a lot of offensive weapons on this team, so you can keep yeah. certain guys a little bit more. Um, Eric uh, messages in and says, should they try uh, a goalie who had – I'm not sure what he's trying to say initially, but should they try a goalie who had a good preseason, forget his name, because Urson. backup hasn't won yet. He's talking about Urson. Um, it's not entirely his fault. And Sandstrom obviously played two preseason games. In the third, he made two saves and then went out with a groin injury. And Urson, you know, is a guy that played really well in the preseason – but needs to play like the reason why Urson's not, he needs to play. He didn't really play last year at all. And if you're the backup up here, like, you know, Sandstrom's gotten two games, both in back-to-back situations, you're not going to get a lot of games. Urson needs to play games. Yeah. Um, he's two years younger than Sandstrom. Sandstrom and he's waiver exempt. And yeah, exactly. That's the other thing he's waiver. I don't know that Sandstrom will get picked up anyway, but you never know. Um, and then, you know, you look at Sandstrom and his performance in both games, he's made some really good saves, some big saves at big times, but he's got, there's been three goals now that I haven't liked. In the Florida game, I think it was the second Uyghur goal. He was yeah. down, didn't get back up out of his RVH on that left side, and, and Uyghur was able to beat high glove. And then, obviously, the knuckleball, the fourth goal against Florida, that kind of just dipped under his glove. And then last night, I didn't like the – uh, I think it was the second goal of the game where again, he's in that RVH on his glove hand side puck comes out for that one-time shot from Eric. It was the first goal, Eric Carlson. And he beats him high blocker. He's got to regain his edges on that. When the puck it's, it's fine to be in that RVH when the play is still in a dead angle, a dead angle is some, you know, some goalie coaches have different ranges for it. Basically it's from the angle from the far post to the hash mark is a dead angle and it's going to take an absolutely perfect shot to beat the goalie. If he's in RVH and he's got the whole lower third covered, but when the puck goes higher than that, you got to regain your edges to give you more options. Both of them beat him high. Cause when you're down, you can only go up so far. If he's standing, that's an easy blocker save. Boom, right off. Yeah, no, I like, I, I like Sandstrom because I think a lot of the natural tools are there. Like the raw talent is there, but I think that he is still trying to figure out how, to be consistent and there are things that he has to work on like i find a lot of times like we saw it last night with the carlson thing i don't mean that it's not like a terrible goal per se but still one that you see him you maybe want to see him have and i and i do think that this is a situation where like you said urson has a lot more runway left with his organization than sandstrom does like i think sandstrom we talked about before the season started i don't think he had anything to prove left in the ahl that's why I think it would have been a very interesting situation had Fedotov been able to come and play for the Philadelphia Flyers because I think that he would have handedly taken the reins away from Sandstrom. But I think Sandstrom is a guy that maybe it's just me. Obviously, you're way more knowledgeable at the goaltending position than I am. But I think that because of the raw talent and his just raw, like I guess, ability, 
I think that he has a future in the NHL. I think it's just about him finding that way to be consistent and not giving up the bad goal each and every game. And realizing that the NHL, if you don't regain your edges in that spot, those guys, yeah. when they shoot, will beat you. Yeah. In the AHL, maybe you get away with that. You know, they all shoot hard. They all shoot the same velocity for the most part, right? Yeah. In the AHL, you have guys that can bomb it just as much as guys, but it's the precision and the ability to pick a spot in yeah. the NHL that they will. I always, the term I always use for goaltenders when you, when they get to the NHL level is it's incredibly unforgiving. Yeah. Anything you leave them, they exploit in other okay. leagues. If you leave them something, you may, you may get away with it. Not at the NHL level. You're not going to get away with it. It just doesn't happen. Those guys are so good. I mean, the way they shoot the puck is just absolutely insane. How they change, you know, the release points, pulling the string, bringing it into their body, deception. It is the ultimate cat and mouse game between the goaltenders and the and the triggers. It's just the way it is. Um, you think if they send Lazinski down, who would be the sensible call? I know everybody's going to say Forster. I had Chuck on Flyers Daily, and he really pushed back on calling Forster up here early. And I don't know that you take Lazinski out and you pull Forster up. It also obviously depends on if Tippett comes back, the status of Atkinson and those things. But is if Tanner goes down, does it make sense maybe to pull up Denoye? Denoye? I think he's been good. The, the, the one thing is, is that I, I would like to see Denoye because he would give you another guy to play center and probably push Co- Noah Cates to the wing. Like, yeah. look, we've seen Jackson. He's going to be Kate. in that role when he gets to the NHL. Like, he's going to be a checking player, you know? That's it. Like, I don't think he's going to be anything more than a 3C. Like, yeah. I think if he develops into a good 3C, that's a win for for uh, Denoye. And look, like, Jackson Cates, he's he has no future with his team. Love the guy, but he, it's not working for him. I, I think that now you've found your stable top line, uh, fourth line rather, top line, maybe after last night, the top line, but your stable fourth line with Delorier, Sedlak, and Zach McEwen. I think that's like a good, like stable fourth line. But then like, obviously, like you said, it depends a lot what happens when Owen Tippett comes back, when Atkinson comes back, like, I guess that would maybe halt them from calling up a Denoye because you don't want to call him up and then him play a game or two and then send him back down. I think that if you bring up Denoye, you want to give him like at least like a three, four, five game sample size. But I would like to see it because I just I really want to see Noah Cates on the wing because I think you're just ripping away his best ability on the four check to get in there. And again, this is not to say that Cates has been horrible at center. I just I think we've seen enough of it to see that. And look, maybe he could develop into a solid center. But I the thing is, is that long term. I don't think that they need Noah Cates to be a center. Like they're also very thin at left wing. Like yeah. if you look at their natural left wingers in their system, you have Cates and you have Farabee. After that, there's not a whole lot of everything. Right wings, it's they have it from here until 2023. But and centermen, you look at Denoye, you have Cutter Gautier, Morgan Frost, and whether or not he sticks around long term, you have Katori locked up. I don't think that it's imperative that you keep Noah Cates at center. I just, I, I get trying to figure out to see if he could play that, but I think we've seen a decent enough of a sample size now to just suggest that maybe get him back on the left wing if possible. Yeah, I agree. I think he's just going to be a more effective player there that can give you all zone, you know, predictability. Um, the environment has been better for, I think for the goaltenders. One thing is, even with Sandstrom's two games and Hart's four games where he's got a 949 save percentage, back door has been covered. 
he hasn't had to worry about backdoor. Yeah. You know, cross east west plays have been very limited, and goalies hate those. And he has had some predictability in environment, and I think that's why you see the save percentage where it is as well. So um, Eric also messaged in and said, should they bring up York to provide nope. some offensive chances uh, because they need offense thanks on the goalie response? Uh, I don't think that's in the cards right now. He's not providing offense right now. I talked to somebody and, you know, they said that he's got he's a chill guy, right? Very chill. And what I was told is basically he's too chill on the ice. He needs more urgency, needs to push play needs to drive offense more too safe basically is, is the way that he has played and they don't, he, with his skill set, and they, he can't be too safe. They need him to push play and to be able to, to drive offense. I don't think he's get close to getting called up. Plus I think that Zamula has been fine. Like uh, honestly, all six of the defensemen, I really mm-hmm. haven't had an issue with like, look, wrong. Yeah, Braun's been fine. Like, obviously, they've been able to limit his minutes, specifically at five on five. I like for the most part, like, look, there's been some hiccups, but I think Provorov and D'Angelo have mixed very well together. I think Sanheim, it's been like mostly good, but like, I think that in the past few games, maybe he struggled a bit more. But again, like, there's it's nothing major here. Like, you really have to nitpick to go out of your way, and especially given to how much the Flyers are really defending. I have nothing bad to say about them. And like you said, like if he's going to come up, he's going to replace Igor Zamula. And in my head, I'm saying like Zamula's done nothing here to really warrant that. Like I, I just don't see a need for Cam York to come up yet. And even in terms of the offense, like do they need more offense from their blue line? Like you have Tony D'Angelo, you have Ivan Provorov, who are pro- who have been their best offensive guys. Zamula's got looks on the power play. They each have I five mean, points, by the way. And yeah, like they, yeah. they've done their point, their their job. Like Sanheim, you want? I don't think he's registered a point yet this season. No. But again, like he hasn't been overtly bad. I think he can play better once Ristolainen gets back. I'm sure he will play a bit better. But yeah, I just I don't see that it's imperative to call up York anytime soon. You want him to get his game to a certain level, and I just don't th- see that the Flyers really needed him, needing him right now. Not for nothing, but Sealer's been decent too. He's been. I think he's the only one. I don't know if it's hold, held true, but for a bit he was the only defenseman with an on ice expected goal, positive on ice expected goal differential. Yeah, he's jumped up in the play a few times, and he's got the goal uh, that you know go into the net, and I, I think he's actually played well. No, he's not part of the future, um, long term, and all that. We know we know what Nick Sealer is. I mean, the fact that you're four and two. And on your D, you're playing Justin Braun on the right side of your second pair at this point in his career. It's no slight against Braun. Uh, and you're playing Nick Sealer on your third pair. You're playing basically a rookie in Igor Zamula on your third pair. You have D'Angelo and Provorov together who have hit the ground running, and we were really concerned about their chemistry. And then you're missing Atkinson, Couturier, Tippett for pretty much the whole thing. Ristolainen. And Ristolainen. I mean, think about that, Ant. You're four and two despite you're probably, you know, two of your top four at a minimum best forwards in Couturier and Atkinson, and you're four and two, and they've scored for the most part too, with the exception of last night. They've played, like, look, with the exception of yesterday, they've played 
like good well let's say relatively speaking obviously the territorial battle and all that the chances for and against wouldn't suggest that they're going to be able to be four and two over the course of an 82 game uh, schedule but I'm just saying that like with the exception of last night they played well and especially the defense like the forwards we can we can pinpoint things like Lazinski not being consistent Hayes and Konechny obviously last night but I mean defensively specifically talking about Cam York here I, I just don't see a need for it. Like, even when Ristolainen is ready to go, like, obviously you're going to want him to see him come in. You would assume Nick Sealer comes out of the lineup. But, like, I don't think there's even a rush to, to get this guy back in the lineup because, for the most part, they've been good. Now, I do think that if you want to, like, break it down, that in their respective roles, Sanheim and Braun have been the worst pairing. Like, even if you look at the Corsi and the expected goals and all that, I find that they don't have the puck a lot and they often find themselves defending. But again, like, they haven't been overtly bad. They've just yeah. been probably the worst of the bunch. And this is, look, relatively speaking, obviously Sanheim and Braun are a better pair than Zamula and Sealer. But I just don't think that there's any real rush to break up the way this defense is working right now. Yeah. Um, what have we thought about that first pair? Um, we mentioned that D'Angelo and Provorov each have five points in six games. D'Angelo's made, other than the last two games, made a difference really on that power play as well. Um, but those two, I don't think have been on the ice for a five-on-five goal yet. And I, I think they let in one against... Um, or was I think the, Nashville or well, that Florida. That was a six-on-four goal, the Nashville one. Did they I think it in, was Maybe Florida. in Florida. Yeah. But I mean, overall, you know, one of the things we were worried about was that on ice chemistry. And I'm told these two are getting along like gangbusters too off the ice. Okay. Um, I mean, it's the, the, you know, the difference in personality oftentimes, you know, is the good thing for a relationship. But I, I think these two on the ice, you know, have really su- had supported each other in good position uh, in the face of pressure or a forecheck, but in the right spots. They seem to communicate well. And they seem to be developing that instinct of where the other guy is going to be. No, it's been great. And look, I think that the way that Brad Shaw has deployed his defense has really helped here because you've seen those two get the most offensive zone start percentage and you've really leaned on Sanheim and Braun to take those D zone minutes. So it's good on the deployment as well. And this isn't to say that Sanheim and Braun haven't done their job. They've taken a lot of those hard minutes off. But like when you see... Provorov and D'Angelo both playing north of 17 minutes a night at five on five. Obviously, D'Angelo always finishing with more ice time because he gets those power play minutes and just more or less them really feeding off of each other. And look, like I said, I was speaking with someone with the Flyers earlier today and he told me like D'Angelo has brought a dynamic that is the one maybe wart in Provy's game. And Provy, I think, defends really well. And I think he could skate the puck out of danger more times than not. But when he's forced to make a quick decision with the puck, specifically on exits, that's where he kind of struggles. And D'Angelo with puck decisions is amazing. Like, I don't remember seeing a defenseman with the Flyers in quite some time, probably since peak Ghost. I don't even think Ghost was as good as D'Angelo is at making quick decisions and good decisions with the puck. So that's why, in theory... This pair always should have worked. Like, I know a lot of people tend to carve me for saying, well, D'Angelo had success with a Jacob Slavin, and Provorov is kind of like a poor man's version of a Jacob Slavin, so it should find some level of a success. But obviously, a lot of people have been down on Provorov for well over a year now, 
and didn't want to believe it. And obviously kind of like the personal baggage that came with D'Angelo, it seemed like this pairing was behind the eight ball in the thoughts of fans and some pundits from the onset. But if you looked at it on paper, you looked at the analytics, you looked at the pros and cons of each player, there was no really reason to doubt why this pair wouldn't, you know, have some level of success. Yeah. And D'Angelo's defended better than I thought he would too. He's got a really good stick. Did you see that play on the power play? Yes. I was just like, that looked too easy for this guy. Yeah. He's got a really good stick and, and I like the intensity that he plays with and, you know, Provorov is more under control and reserved looking on the ice. And Tony's a little more frenetic, if you will. Yeah. And, at, you know, that kind of dichotomy can work as well um, for them. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. I mean, you're going to have some tough. He's played a lot uh, on the P. Sorry to cut you off, but he's played a lot shorthanded yeah. as well, D'Angelo. Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're seeing guys kill penalties that we never would have thought. Are, was yep. killing penalties like TK as well, uh, despite the fact that he didn't last night in the third period. That's for sure. <laughs> so this week coming up, Ant, um, they have Florida on Thursday. So a couple of days off, they'll practice tomorrow and Wednesday. Then they'll get Florida at home on Thursday, trying to avenge that loss last Wednesday, 4-3 to three against uh, the Panthers. And then Saturday, they'll wrap up the month of October with Carolina. And then a three or, or yeah three-game roadie where they'll go see – the Rangers and Toronto back to back. That's so, going to be tough. Yeah, that's not easy because you got customs you got to clear as well after the Ranger game coming from New York to Toronto. And then you get your first matchup against your former captain uh, since he left here. They never played Florida after he left last year. So they'll see Ottawa on the fifth. And it's also another, you know, uh, what is that? Three games in five nights all on the road including a trip to north of the border. Not going to be easy. And look, you know, Torts was saying that they have more back-to-backs to come here, and you have a couple of tough Three in November. Yeah, and this yeah. isn't a back-to-back against the San Jose Sharks. This is back-to-back against good teams, you know. And I really think that we're going to see what this team is made of. And look, again, this isn't about them coming in and winning games, but it's about them coming in and competing. Like against Florida. I think Florida was a good example of a tough back-to-back where you hung with a team and, you know, you did get good goaltending for most of it, but then Sandstrom led in a muffin. And maybe if you had Sandstrom make that one last save, at least you get a point out of that because TK did score with, what, like a second left? Yeah. So, I mean, it's about really just establishing a way that you can get up and, you know, just play hard in these back-to-backs. And, look, this is not to say that they have to come out with a winning record, but you want to see how they really – react to back-to-backs especially when you're traveling across the border and against good teams right like a back-to-back on the road when you have to come into canada luckily all the travel restrictions are done now so you you take that one variable out of it but i think that's why tortorella sent that message yesterday because yeah it's a back-to-back yeah you got in at 3 a.m yeah you had to change time zones and all that but it's not nearly as hard as the other ones are going to be coming up in the next month or so when they get Toronto on that back-to-back on November 2nd, Rangers on November 1st, uh, Toronto on November 2nd, Toronto will have just returned home from a five-game road trip where they've already played Winnipeg. They see Vegas, San Jose, the Kings, and then Anaheim. But, but they'll be done with that Anaheim game on Sunday the 30th, and they don't play the Flyers until Wednesday. So they'll have plenty of time to decompress from that road trip while the Flyers have a Metro Division matchup the night before against the Rangers, and then 
Toronto the next night with a couple of days rest after a five-game West Coast trip. So after that Ottawa game, you get St. Louis at home, then Columbus at, on the road, and then Giroux will come to Wells Fargo Center on the 12th for the first time as a member of the Senators. So that'll be that's one to circle on the calendar as well. December 12th? Yep, December, yeah, December 12th. They have back-to-back home, home games that weekend. <laughs> that's going to be a hell of a, of, a, of a game, eh? How do you yeah. think the reaction is going to be? I think he's going to get a great reaction. Oscar got a great shame. reaction last night, deservedly so, and I think Giroux is going to get a huge one. Did What do you think of Oscar's game? Um, uh, He didn't do a whole lot in the game no. for me. Um, But, I mean, he's battling to stay in the NHL, gone him. He's such a good guy, you know? Yeah. And I, I just, I mean, based on the surgery that he had and what he had to deal with with the Ewing sarcoma and everything, I don't think he's ever going to get back to the player he was prior to that. I don't. I just don't think it's possible. Hey, you know, you, you feel for the guy, and I'm happy that sounds. They gave him a shot, but, I mean, it really is just – it's tough to see how, like, he sticks as a regular in the NHL – Especially yeah. on a good team. Like maybe he'll always have a job with like a San Jose, that type of situation. But mm-hmm. it, it is sad to see because you think back to 2019-20, like how good he looked with Pro for, with uh, Konechny and Couturier. But. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting coming up. We'll see what takes place. Uh, let's wrap it up there. And uh, anything special you got you're working on for uh, the fourth period? Yeah, well, like uh, I have some interviews lined up with some executive hoping to get someone from an Eastern Conference team. I did a uh, a feature on the, the Coyotes a few weeks ago. I did one on Craig Conroy and the Calgary Flames a few weeks ago, trying to get it, some rumor pieces in there as well. But obviously at this time of the year, there's not a whole lot to talk about, but uh, we'll see where it goes. We'll have to get Panyota to join us sometime here soon as well. Check yeah, if you can find show before. Yeah, if you can find the guy. He's always traveling, man. I can't even keep tabs on him. <laughs> it's like, where's Dave, Dave Panyota in the world today? Um, <laughs> great stuff. Check out any stuff on thefourthperiod.com and at uh, ademarco25. You got it. Nah, I'm it lately. I'm, I'm, I'm on fire lately. And thanks, man. We'll talk soon, brother. Thanks, man. Take it easy. There he is, Anthony DeMarco from thefourthperiod.com. Great stuff as always. Uh, plenty to talk about. Plenty to talk about on Wednesday as well. Um, by the way, on Wednesday's episode, uh, my good buddy Kevin Woodley is going to join us from Ingle Magazine, the Ingle Radio Podcast. He is the goalie guru for Sportsnet, and he is fantastic. And we're going to talk about Carter, talk about goaltending, and all kinds of different things. You know, the formula for why goalies start off a year good, why goalies struggle in certain situations. And uh, Woody's always got great information. So Kevin Woodley will join us coming up on Wednesday's episode. Uh, Still trying to procure our guest for Friday's episode, but we'll let you know what that is on Wednesday. I should have that done by then. So uh, yeah, Woody will be on Wednesday's episode and everybody really enjoys when he comes on. So uh, looking forward to that as well. Flyers are off until uh, Thursday night against the Florida Panthers. So uh, we'll have some interesting storylines to develop with the Hazen Konechny benching in the third, and we'll stay on top of all of it uh, right here on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Get the Bet Parks app. It's a great time to get it because you've got uh, the football season, college and pro in full swing. You've got the final series in baseball set to take place with the fightings in it as well. And also, obviously, hockey season, hoops is here. you got so much to get your action in on F1. 
Uh, and take it from me, the BetParks app is fantastic. It's easy to use, easy to navigate, faster to win than ever before. Check out the hockey bonus and uh, that we're going to do, the boost, coming up on Wednesday. And we'll give you all the info on that on Wednesday as well. Both have hit so far, so we're 2-0. and um, And player performances, same-game parlays, live in-game betting, it's all there for you. First to score, exact score, you name it, over-unders, all on the BetParks app. Uh, so download the BetParks app today. You need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And also stop by Route 202 in Glen Mills to the new uh, Conquerville Subaru dealership. Fantastic dealership. They continue to do great work in the community. Beautiful showroom. And you can check out all the uh, certified pre-owned inventory, list of incoming Subaru vehicles. And it's a great deal, not just a great dealership, but a great service department with a free car wash with every visit. Visit ConquerVilleSubaru.com and check out the showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills. And remember, Concord Bill cares. All right, we'll be back Wednesday. Another brand new episode of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Everybody, hang tight. We'll talk to you in a couple of days. Thanks for listening. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Subscribe on YouTube and much more. And we'll talk to you Wednesday on a brand new Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Yeah.